inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thank you for joining this new episode. After some time, we are back. And we are going to do things a little bit different. So we are trying a fireside chat today. For that, I will have two guests who are going to discuss very interesting things about presentations. Let me introduce first guest is Jason Thompson. As a professional thinker, copywriter, and speaker, Jason has fueled the trajectory of some of the world's most important and smartest brands, helping leaders explore, develop, and sell with engaging and clear presentations that inspire action. His powerful perspective on what it takes to imagine, develop, and sell an idea transforms audiences, leaving them prepared to think faster, better, and brighter. Welcome, Jason. Oscar, you, you read that bio like a boss. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> It's a pleasure. Thank you. And our second guest is Andrea Pacini, He is a presentation coach and founder of Ideas on Stage UK. He specializes in working with business owners, leaders, and their teams who want to become more confident presenters. In the last 12 years, Ideas on Stage has worked with thousands of clients around the world, including companies like Microsoft, Lacoste, the World Bank, and over 500 TEDx speakers. Hello, Andrea. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you very much. Great to be here. You've pronounced my name perfectly. That's normally most people don't do that. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's really great, great having both of you uh, in this. Again, we are, as usual, very international. I'm now in three different locations, me in Helsinki, Andrea is in London, and Jason is, is somewhere near Toronto, Canada, correct? So what we're going to discuss today is thinking back the last a bit more than two years in which we have been heavily using Zoom, Teams, and other tools like that for the primary way of communicating ourselves in our teams and doing some sales presentations and uh, internal meetings, etc. So I would like to just start this conversation asking... I know who, who you will um, answer this question first, and then you continue this fireside chat. My first question is, has Zoom Teams and these other online tools changed the way we present? Jason, uh, would you like me to, to share it? Go for ideas? it. I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Uh, and I'd love to hear yours as well. So here is why I think, Jason. I think that no. Zoom and other tools has not changed the way we present, or at least I don't think that it has changed it to the extent in which most people think. And, and the reason why I say that is because I think that our ability to present a compelling message has nothing to do or very little to do with the tool or with technology in general. I think that our ability to create a great presentation 
depends on whether or not we can craft, design, and deliver a message which is simple for the audience to understand, a message which is clear, a message which is engaging, and even most importantly, a message which is relevant to a particular audience. And that has nothing to do with the tool. Also, because if we think about it, we've been using Zoom and other tools on a global scale for the last few years. But our brain has evolved over hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years. But just to, to think about an example, Aristotle, more than 2,000 years ago, was perhaps the first one who gave us some um, guidelines on what works and what doesn't work in communication, in persuasion, storytelling. And again, he didn't have Zoom. He didn't have PowerPoint. He didn't have other, other tools. So I think that inevitably, the tools will always change. But the fundamental principles of communication do not change. And I'm much more interested in focusing on the things that will not change from a communication perspective, rather than th those things like technology and tools that will change all the time. So these are my thoughts. But Jason, what, what do you think? I think it's a great perspective and probably one I, I wasn't looking at directly because when, when I look at Zoom and the experience that I've had, my sense is, yes, it's different, but there's a lie. There's a big lie hiding in the reads. So the first thing is, is like, you got to understand that when you're on Zoom and the biggest thing that we've really driven coaching through is it's a television show and it comes with its own nuance, right? Lighting, right? Framing, all that sort of stuff can help develop that connection. But you're absolutely right. The idea of ensuring that you use the classic tools, the tools to build that rapport with an audience have not changed. However, by the way, one of those technology tools, and it's so great to see everybody on this podcast doing it right, which is if you're out there and you're using AirPods as your primary microphone, go out, get on Amazon right now and buy a good wired microphone. The data shows it. That if you don't have something that makes you sound, not like you've got the, the sound bouncing around, right, is going to make the biggest difference. Bigger than a camera, bigger than lighting, bigger than anything else is your microphone. Now, I said there's a lie. And the lie is this. And it's something that's really helped me out a lot, which is we saw audience engagement spike during the early times of the pandemic. And everybody was started to think to themselves, oh, in presentations, everybody's disengaging. This is horrible. Got me a lot of work. However, the lie is this. Your audiences were already disengaged, right? Audiences were already shifting. They just accelerated that approach. And so what I've been able to do is turn that into a bit of an advantage as a speaker coach, because you, you've had these, these hardline executives who are thinking, I don't need speaker coaching. I don't need to understand. I've done this a hundred times before and then get on stage and give you a 60 minute. Here's where we were last year. Here's where we are this year. Here's where we're going next year. Treat us right now. You can come up to those people and say, you know what? The pandemic changed the rules for everybody. Even if it didn't, you say the pandemic changed the rules and here are the new rules. It really was like the the rise of storytelling. I found that Bill Clinton, once Bill Clinton started talking about storytelling around the year 2000, my clients suddenly started opening up to storytelling. The pandemic has actually created an opportunity here. So has Zoom changed things? 
Yeah, but more importantly, it's opened up an opportunity for all of us to to be better at how we connect, to use those tools that Andrea is talking about. What do you think? No, Jason, I agree in that, of course, when I say that Zoom has not changed the way we present, that doesn't mean that there there aren't certain things to consider that make a big difference. Like, for example, you talked about the microphone. So in general, like the setup, I think that the setup from a technological perspective doesn't make a big difference in an in-person context. For example, if you have an in-person presentation and you go there and for some reason the technology fails, the projector fails, you want to show some slides or maybe a video doesn't work. If you are prepared... In most cases, not always, but in most cases, if you are prepared, you can go ahead and give a great presentation anyway. Now, online, I agree with you, the setup is much more important. So things like microphone, which is the most important thing. I also agree with you, voice is a very powerful communication tool online. It is the most important communication tool we have. But in addition to microphone, webcam, lighting, headphones, background, all these kind of things. So that makes a big difference. On that point, Jason, what what do you think? Because this is one difference I've noticed with online presentations, the setup, the technological aspect. Have you noticed in your experience any, any other... Are there differences or do you have any key learnings with, if you think about online presentations over the last few years? A couple of them. I'm going to tag up on something that you just said that's really interesting, which is the transition from Zoom into live, is how audiences are distant, disengaging. Um, what's fascinating to me, I, I hosted an event in San Diego, California in May. The first speaker got up or the last speaker just before lunch. I'd seen him during rehearsal. I begged him not to do what he was about to do. And he he got up and for the first five minutes, he talked about his own Myers-Briggs profile. And what I watched was I watched something I'd never seen before at a conference, which was people trickling out of the event. So by the time he finished, two thirds of the audience were gone and you could hear them networking on the other side of the door. And the reason is, is that Zoom taught people you can turn your camera off and go get yourself a cup of coffee and then come back. And we're carrying that into real life. And so audiences are getting a lot of power. And if we're not paying attention to that, we got we have a big problem. I think that's for sure. Yeah, and and on that point, Jason, and this is very much connected to what you said, which is 100% true. You talked about audience disengagement. Now, and this is another either difference or or something I've noticed over the last few years with online presentations is that for obvious reasons, today it's harder to gain the audience's attention and to keep it high. Now, this is always a challenge. Even in a face-to-face presentation, it's not easy unless we follow certain principles to keep the audience's attention high. And by the way, what I find is that in an in-person presentation, it doesn't matter how strong you are as a presenter. It doesn't matter how interesting your subject is. After about 10 minutes, the audience's attention tends to go down, which means that as presenters, every 10 minutes, more or less, we need to do something. It's as if every 10 minutes, we need to buy the audience's attention back. It doesn't have to be complicated. 
we could ask a question, we could invite the audience to work on a quick exercise or share something we've shared with them with a the person sitting next to them. There are many possibilities. Now, online, the 10-minute rule becomes the three-minute rule, which means that every three or let's say three to five minutes, we should find a way to interact with the audience. I think that a presentation and especially online, but in general, a presentation should be a designed conversation. It should not be a one-way lecture. It should be a designed conversation. Conversation means that we interact with the audience, but designed means that we create those moments and we think about those moments of interaction in advance as we plan the presentation, if possible. Uh, so that's another thing I've noticed uh, from your side, Jason. And anything else? Any oh other? yeah, the, to, to the stat I found early in the pandemic was one hundred percent of audiences disengage in every fifteen minute block, which means you are going to lose the entire audience for a flicker of a second. And if you're a student of behavioral economics like I am, as soon as you broke break that plane of focus, you're in trouble. So it's really important to get that plane of focus back. You're right. You you cannot stop the audience from disengaging. You run out of coffee, you get a text message, your dog runs through the frame if you're at home, you're thinking about your kids. Like there there are moments like that. So you have to use I love that phrase you use, designed conversation. I think there's more than interactivity and that's one thing I try to steer people towards to say you don't just have to wait for that interactive moment to dial people back in. Like I use things like headlining and scannability and tripwire words and associations and triggering to try and get people back on board. It's a big, big thing that I use in something like PowerPoint, which I think often it's it's maligned. You, you have like two camps, right? I only put six words on a PowerPoint slide or... I never, or I'm going to put all the words on the PowerPoint slide. And the truth is, is that neither of you are actually understanding the role of PowerPoint, particularly in engagement. If you think about your PowerPoint as the GPS, the sat nav for your presentation, then you're, you can use it appropriately. So strong headlines, minimal visuals. But the goal is when the audience does disengage and they decide to dial back in, they're going right to the headline on that PowerPoint. And you need to make sure that that's delivering the context that the audience needs to continue to want to be in your presentation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And and also, Jason, I don't know whether you've noticed this as well. Another difference I've noticed or, or, or key learning recently over the last few years, if we think about online presenting, what I've also noticed is that from a delivery perspective, so if we think about delivery skills like use of voice and body language, gestures, eye contact, all these kind of things, so not from a content perspective, but from a delivery perspective, the same principles still apply, but the way you implement, the way you apply the principles have changed. And now, for example, we want to make good eye contact when presenting. Now, the way we make good eye contact in a face-to-face -face presentation is different from the way we do it when we have a conversation online. Face-to-face, -face, it's a person-to-person -person interaction. So you look at one person, one sentence, another person, another sentence. Online, we need to look at the lens of the camera because that's where the audience is. The same is true with hand gestures. Like 
when it comes to hand gestures, for example, online, you want to keep your hands a little bit higher than you, not all the time, but sometimes a little bit higher than you would normally do in a face-to-face presentation because they have to be visible for your audience. And there are other examples as well, but that's that's one thing, one key thing I've noticed from a delivery perspective, the techniques, the principles are still the same, but the way you apply them is different. It's uh, I made these kits for speakers and they have little... Um post-it notes inside sticky notes and one of them just says look here and you're supposed to put it next to the camera because it is you you can easily disengage like looking down from the camera there's a technology out there that's kind of fascinating to me called the center cam which is a very small camera that sits directly in the center of your screen i've experimented with it and it allows you to look directly at your audience there is some research out of stanford that's actually showing that the cognitive overload that happens when you do use that camera and you have people in front of you is you get eye fatigue uh you get just general fatigue overall that happens the best counsel i ever give on that is remember you're on a tv show and so think about your favorite newscaster you know they don't have an audience sitting in front of them so how do they bring that energy and focus and ability to connect with you and that's a really great starting place because if they can reframe that conversation in their own heads then a presentation isn't just a presentation. Yeah, right. And what else? I don't know whether you've got any other ideas that you'd like to share here, or maybe feel free to to jump in at any time, but maybe we could also talk about, I'd love to hear your perspective on if you have any, any tips or suggestions to ensure successful day-to-day presentation uh, in 2022 and beyond. That's a great question. Why don't we start with you since I've been talking so much? I'd love to hear what your your perspectives are on what great day-to-day presentations look like. Yeah, sure. So first of all, when I say day-to-day presentation, I mean non-necessarily big presentations or conferences, keynotes, day-to-day presentations in a business context, meetings. Now, I think that one way to... To do it better is to give fewer presentations. And this might might seem counterintuitive because like you, Jason, uh, I'm a a speaker coach, I'm a presentation coach. So the more I make a living with this, the more presentations we give in the world, the better for me. However, I think that it's not the only reason. There are many other reasons, but one of the reasons why most presentations are, especially in business, are boring. Most presentations suck, I think. One of the reasons is that we give too many presentations. And also, the other reason is that as soon as you hear the word presentation, most people immediately associate it with PowerPoint or slides. Whereas a presentation is so much more than just PowerPoint. It's so much more than just the presentation tool. So in a day-to-day context, who says that we need to create a PowerPoint, for example? We could use a flip chart or a whiteboard, and that could be done face-to-face. It could be done online. We could create a handout, a document. And, and then that forms the basis of the conversation. We have a chart with the audience. So that's why I mean, if we do that, if we accept that a presentation is so much more than just PowerPoint, and if we give fewer presentations in the context of big presentations, you standing up, maybe with PowerPoint in front of an audience, then on those 
fewer occasions, very important occasions where you have to stand up and give an actual presentation in the true sense with slides and everything, then you have more time to prepare properly. And preparing properly means starting from the foundation, which is about understanding your audience, their needs and the context, brainstorming to identify your key messages, translating your key messages into a clear and engaging storyline from the beginning where you want to hook your audience to the very end with your punchline, with your conclusion. It's also about, if you want to use PowerPoint, illustrating your ideas effectively from a visual perspective. And it's also about making sure that you are ready to deliver your presentation, to connect with the audience, to deliver in a way that's comfortable and convincing. So I think that if we give fewer presentations from this perspective, then when it when it, it really matters, we have time to prepare it more effectively. What do you I think, Jason? I love that idea. And it, it reminds me of what Amazon has done inside their own organizations, which is a lot of time in a meeting. you got a 60-minute meeting. A lot of time is wasted giving the presentation. So they would create a dossier, a three-page dossier that followed a template. Everybody sat read it for 10 minutes, and then you would discuss it. I, I remember working with one agency. I, I do a lot of content direction for large-scale conferences and even um, you know, development of brands. And so they wanted me to work on a, a, an automaker's brand. And they said, you come down to our office, which was a two-hour drive for me, then sit, we'll, we'll present it for three hours, and then you can go home, right? And you'll have the pieces that you need to move forward. And I said, do me a favor. I said, before we take that route, because that's seven hours, send me the deck that you are going to present to me. I said, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to feed it back to you in 10 minutes. If I can, if I've got it right, I don't have to come down. Right. And then we can have a profitable discussion. Again, this is before the pandemic. And sure enough, they were offended, I think, at first, but eventually they they loved the fact that I just gave them back three hours of their day, which is fantastic, which is I, I think that's the big thing is choosing the the mix. I can't tell you the number of times that I, I talk to organizations and I say this, I ask them this question and it it's a head scratcher. They're baffled by the question, which is, why are you holding a conference in the first place, right? Because, well, we held, we're holding a conference because we held one last year. And they're not really following the purpose and the principles. And so what do you do? You end up getting a bunch of executives trotted out on stage because the corporate culture demands it. And, and then nothing of value. Your audience is just waiting for it to be over so they can go to the bar. And so that idea of really selecting the right stage and the right marketing mix in terms of what you, what you choose and how you choose to communicate is a really good tip, Andrea. And that's also, Jason, this is very much connected to when Oscar introduced you at the beginning. He said that one of the key things you do, the way you help your clients is you help them use their presentations to inspire action. And, and I love that that's the key thing because, and it's connected to what you've just said. Often, another reason why most presentations in business are boring is because we think that our objective is just to share some information. Yes. Uh, and especially in a day-to-day -day context, even in a day-to-day -day context, the objective is not just to share some information. Now, I'm not saying that that cannot be the objective. Sometimes that could be the objective, but if that's the only objective, then maybe there is no reason to give a presentation. 
Again, we can create a document, we can send out an email, we can make a phone call. So we need to accept the fact that when we give a presentation, it's because we want to inspire action. We want to go beyond just sharing some information. If I I have, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Jesse. I was going to say, I have a five-step process, much like the one you outlined. I call it uh, sugar stack, because sugar for speak up, get results. But the first step is always the same. And I'm I'm gobsmacked by the 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 feedback that I get, which is this idea that I say, why are you presenting? And they say, well, you know, I want, to, I want them to understand this. I do a lot of work with a large technology company. I want them to understand, you know, how this process works. And I, and I said, okay. That's great. What's the first thing you want the audience to do when you get off stage? Well, I want them to email me. And I'm like, that's your objective. And everything now surrounds that objective. Because the second question is, what do you need to give your audience to be able to, 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 uh, activate that? Because oftentimes we try to say everything in the time that we have. And the answer actually is you only need to say enough to the advance the conversation to the next step. And if that next step is an email, you don't need to say everything. In fact, I talk about the most important real estate in a presentation is the first minute and the last minute. So what do we waste in the first minute? Good morning. It's great to be here. You know, it's so nice to be back. And you've just lost the audience. You have four seconds to emotionally engage the audience. So that's what your goal is at the first minute. And you need to structure. And then how do people do their last minute? Well, that's my time today. If you want to email me, this is where you can find me. And it's like, hang on a second. You really got to remind the audience of the value you gave them so that they will be indebted to you and give you reciprocity. And then you need to give them a reason to continue the conversation. You know, today I told you four things. I got one more. I actually made an infographic. And when you scan this QR code and leave me your email address, I'm going to send you that infographic. And again, it can take a whole bunch of forms, but it's it's amazing when you talk to a presenter and they never think of the presentation that way. They simply just think, I've got to barf 3,000 words at you, right, in 20 minutes, and then I'm out. And it's like, well, that nothing changes. Then why are you presenting? <clears throat> exactly. Taking the audience to the next step, inspiring action. That's what we want to do. Now, for example, when Steve Jobs launched the very first iPhone in, when was it, 2000? Because you were talking about... 2008. Two, I think it was January 11, yeah. 2008. So he wasn't aiming at informing the audience. He didn't want us to remember how many pixels the screen had or how fast the processor was. He wanted us to buy it. He wanted us to desire it. He wanted journalists to write really positive articles about it because if we could remember all that technical information, but nobody wanted to buy it, nobody wanted to write positive articles about it, he would have failed. So that's what we mean. His objective was not was not just to share some information. He wanted to create some sort of a transformation in the audience. And the same principle can be applied in day-to-day presentations. I think what people need to think about is that when, when and I'm talking to our listeners today, when you give a presentation, if after your presentation, your audience doesn't at least believe or feel or even better do something new or different, then you've wasted your time, and even worse, you've wasted those. I'm glad you brought up Steve Jobs because I want to go on record to say this. I may be the only person who believes this in the world, but I believe Steve Jobs was a bad presenter. I believe his narratives were amazing. His speechwriter, 
and the development work that they did. So in that 2008 presentation, he opened with, today I want to introduce three products, right? You know, a music player, a phone, and then he kind of rapidly started to accelerate and say, are you getting it yet? I don't, I never loved his performances. I, and I, you know, I didn't love his, his, uh, presentation that he gave that everybody loves to talk about at, at Stanford. What I did love was the writing. The, there is a, such a beautiful approach to the narrative. In 2010, when Jobs launched the iPad, he used the phrase magical and revolutionary. I, I believe it was like 42 times in a two-hour keynote. And the reason is he controls that narrative. Mm-hmm. If you look at the most recent iPad launch in March of this year, you'll see that phrase magical is still associated with the brand. And why? Because it triggers that buying impulse. It's a pretty amazing thing. Like if you take the time to deconstruct the Apple keynotes and look at some of the other keynotes that are out there, PlayStation, any consumer kind of keynote, how they're cribbing from that notebook, the narratives are astonishingly good. What words matter. I agree with you. Now, it's also good that, and then I guess we can wrap this up, I guess, because otherwise Oscar, I don't know <laughs> whether he wants it because we could start, we could keep talking for hours, I think. I think Jason. we could. But it's good to have something we disagree with on because I, I, I think that I'm one of those who think that Steve Jobs <laughs> was an amazing presenter. Uh, I think one of the best business presenters uh, of all time from a from a narrative perspective of course i appreciate that it wasn't just him i i've i've heard that it takes apple 250 hours to prepare a 20 minute presentation 250 yeah. hours considering the work of the the writers the designers everything so of course it's not just him but from a message perspective, the way he used visuals from a delivery perspective, uh, I think so it's, I it, it's into all of that. I just I'm really targeting his performance and I do say it to be contrarian, right? Because <laughs> now you'll remember me. So I've given you an association that will trigger you. Oh, yeah, you're the guy who doesn't believe in Steve Jobs. So then somebody's going to want to fight with me. So now <laughs> now I've done the job I'm supposed to do. Another thing. And again, perhaps after that, we can we can wrap up. But Another thing I liked about your answers, Jason, and it goes back to the first thing I mentioned, which is the fundamental principles of communication. You used lots of examples in your in your answers. And this is storytelling. People remember stories much more than facts and figures. And so that's what stories, examples, analogies, case studies, there's always a story to tell. And, and that's what I meant at the very beginning when I said, that that's what makes a difference. Whether we were having a conversation face-to-face, now we are doing it over Zoom, you are still using storytelling Absolutely. in your conversation. And the, the secret there, because I, I I have a couple of programs that I run on specifically on storytelling. You know, when you ask corporate citizens to give you a story, what do they give you? They give you a case study, right? And so there's all sorts of, as you know, all sorts of stuff from like ritual death and, and ethos, pathos, Freytag's pyramid. The, the simplest way to get to a good story is put your audience as a bystander in the story, as an extra in your movie, and give me the detail. And what I love, I, I, you know, you hear people all the time, they say, well, you know, I'm not a really great storyteller. And you say, really? Tell me about your worst travel experience. And suddenly, everybody is a 15-minute, eloquent, incredible, telling you about the time <laughs> that they spent, you know, 
lost in the Frankfurt airport for seven hours and missed their flight. Like it's incredible. It's incredible. You just have to find a way to trigger that. But the big value that is, it is the perfect association mechanism to remember it. I can remember my, when I graduated from a university in Toronto 25 years ago, I can almost remember the entire story that was told by the keynote speaker. It's incredible. It's incredible the way that, you know, you, you're not, what, do you, what is it with facts and figures? You're dealing with the Broca's area, right? In the front of the brain where the, they put these guys in through kind of uh, brain testing and they show you with stories, everything lights up, right? And that's, that's the emotional approach. It's incredible. Yeah. The, the problem with most business day-to-day -day presentations is that they are 99% facts. And then if we are lucky, if we are lucky, 1% is story, we should turn this around. Listen, also if your job is, if you are giving the bi-weekly numbers update, figure out what your conclusion to your presentation is, open your presentation with a two-minute story and a clear point, and then say, now I'm going to show you the numbers that back it up. If you do that, you will transform, you grow your career, you'll transform uh, understanding and you'll get the action you want. It's I find just that one move shifting what we tend to do, which is tell me the figures and the data and then deliver something at the end. If you invert that, it those cold opens are huge. I agree, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Oscar. Hearing story a lot in this, uh, <laughs> in this last minutes of your conversation, makes me think yeah of course in the end it's about the basics right we started a conversation talking about zoom but always we come back to the basics i think you agree on that no understanding the basics pretty pretty well uh, super interesting the conversation with you actually one thing that will i wish to hear is uh first of all did you in during those this period of two or more years in which I think all of us have been using a lot of these tools, a lot of remote presentations. My question, to, very shortly, tell me, did you enjoy that? Did you enjoy doing a lot of remote presentations, Zoom, Teams, etc. personally? Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Okay. I, I The joke I made about the, the uh, pandemic is everybody is now living the life that I've been living for 30 years, right? <laughs> As a freelance... Creative director and contest writers, I sit in this office surrounded by all of these monitors and, you know, you get really, really good. What it forced, what it did was, it, I again, what I talked about at the very beginning was it opened up an opportunity. You know, I remember the, the first days of lockdown. Uh, I worked uh, with the, uh, the global events company MCI here in Canada and they had to end my retainer. And I remember walking out and going, oh my God, that's it. My career is over. Like who's, what, the events are gone. And six weeks later, you know, I, I built a studio. I, I did all of these things to try and kind of really prepare for whenever we would come back in person. And six weeks later, the phone started ringing off the hook. Mm -hmm. And I was getting this. People are bored. Help. People are bored and we're running polls and that's all we've got. What can we do? And then suddenly I went, finally, my time to shine. Mm -hmm. And I, I use that as a lever to get into the conversation to get people to get off of autopilot because they go on autopilot when they think about presentations, right? You take the thing that you learned earlier in your career, you take the old deck and then you start moving forward and actually get them to think about presentations and connecting and communicating effectively. <laughs> What about I, you, Andrea? Oscar, yeah, I enjoyed it too. I think there are many 
benefits of online presenting, online communication. Uh, the the most obvious one is our ability to reach a new audience, a mm. global audience from from your home and and it's also we we need to think about a few differences in how we go about it, but it's also possible to to make it impactful to we were talking about it with Jason to take the audience to the next step. And it's still possible to do it online. So it depends on what the objective is. So I think it's good. And this is what works for me. It's good to have a good mix of online and face-to-face. I still see the, the, the power and the impact that you can have when you work with somebody face-to-face. But the same impact can be achieved online as well. Okay. Glad to hear that you both enjoy. Some people say they hate it, but... Well, let, let's see. Maybe it's not true, actually. I think maybe in the end, most people have enjoyed um, a lot of this online presentation. I will ask you before closing one final question for each of you. We'll use randomly. Usually we have these three questions uh, in, in the interviews. I'll pick one for you, Andrea. Let's see. Just a moment. Uh, okay. What is your favorite quotation? Okay, my favorite quotation, I don't know if it's a quotation, but it's perhaps a motto. Nike says, just do it. Uh, And I love it. And I think it's very much connected to what we've talked about today. Because if we think about presentation skills, public speaking, this is a skill that requires knowledge and technique. It's like learning how to play a new musical instrument, learning how to play a new sport. We need knowledge. We we need to know the rules of the game. We also need technique as well. And every time you have a skill that that, that has these two elements, knowledge and technique, what really makes a difference is practice. So, and this is my message to our listeners. If you want to become a more confident presenter, of course, you can listen to podcasts like these and read books. I do all of that. I love it. I love the insights and the knowledge. But then it doesn't matter if we don't put that knowledge, those insights into <clears throat> practice. So if we want to become more confident presenters, as Nike say, we just need to do it. So that's my quotation, if you want. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Just do love it. Love it. And for just a moment, Jason, your number is okay. For you is the recommended book. So please recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential for you. I hate presentation books because they all kind of say something similar. You get a little little nugget or two out of them. So I spent a lot of time over the pandemic listening to podcasts, reading, watching stuff. And I, by the way, I say this knowing that I'm halfway through writing my book. It's not a presentation book. It's on communications, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's something I hope that will be helpful. The best book that I've ever read in regards to presentation is the 2018 Robert Cialdini book, Presuasion. So if you haven't read Presuasion, it's, and you're interested in behavioral economics, it's the game changer. Because it includes everything that he had from his first book called Influence in the 1980s, which was, you know, he is one of the godfathers of behavioral economics, and he really defined the story. But what he talks about in Persuasion is it's not just, you know, what you say and how you trigger it with with things like social proof and likability, but when you say it. 
And there's a story early in the book where he uncovers the, probably the single best sales tactic he's ever come across, which is a guy who sells uh, alarms. And I'm going to leave it there because if I leave it as unfinished business, I'm giving you the Zargonic effect, which is <laughs> where you're going to you're gonna go and buy this book. Big yellow cover, persuasion, not persuasion, is an outstanding read that's going to show you on how to better connect with people, how to be better be empathetic to what they need and to be able to get your message across. And it has very little to do directly with presentations. Hmm. Super interesting. I have not uh, read it yet. I, I knew about this book, but Fantastic I haven't book. read it yet. Well, thank you. I would like just to hear some final words from each of you, Andrea. Yeah, from my side, if there's one thing I would like our listeners to, to, to take away from this conversation is that I, of course, we are all biased here because we are in a similar space. But I do believe that until you are a great presenter, business is hard. Until you are a great presenter, your only job should be to become one. And what I also believe is that there's never been a better time for, for you to become better presenters. Why? Because if you look at what's happening with things like automation, artificial intelligence, robots, technology, Zoom, now today more than ever, having a good idea isn't good enough. Think about it. If you want to land your dream job or sell products, lead teams, build brands, trigger movements, if you want to do any of these things, then you need to be able to persuade people and inspire them. And this is not something that a robot will be able to do. Never. This is, I think never. <laughs> we'll see. This is not something that Zoom will do for you. You still need to take responsibility for communicating your ideas in a powerful way. And that's why being able to present effectively is a skill that will become only more important, not less. And that's it. Just think about that. Yeah. So, so how, how people can uh, get in touch with you or follow you? What are the best ways? Just one thing, if, if people want to learn more, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. They, they can find me there with my name, and Andrea Pacini. But also, we have a, an online tool for free that people can take. We call it the Confident Presenter Scorecard. The URL is ideasonstage.com forward slash score, like when you score a goal. And it's a tool that people can take to very quickly assess their presentation skills for free. It takes just three minutes. All they need to do is they need to answer a few questions, yes and no. They'll get a score, what that score means for them. And it also identifies opportunities for improvement. So if people are interested, check it out. The Confident Presenter Scorecard, you can Google it, or ideasonstage.com forward slash score. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Andrea. And finally, Jason, please, uh, a final words for our audience. If you want to build a better presentation, the fastest way you can do that is with four letters. I call it MIRV, M-I-R-V. Meaningful, interesting, relevant, valuable. Those are the four things. And if you're paying attention, you know that all four of them are absolutely focused on the audience. Your job is to be the wind beneath the audience audience's wings. Strike this phrase from your vocabulary. Here's what I want to say, because that's what I begin with with so many presenters is they, they start with, here's what I want to say. It's like, well, hang on, before you get there, what's your objective and who's your audience and how are you meaningful, interesting, 
relevant and valuable to them. So that's that's really the critical element is if you can start there, your presentations will already be better. And then there's a million other things from headlining to scannability and navigation that you can do to make things really go through the roof. But start with that MERV approach. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Please, again, let us know how uh, people can get in touch with you or follow you. What are the best ways? Surprisingly, I'm also on the LinkedIn, mm -hmm. which is uh, <laughs> Jason Thompson. That's T-H-O-M-S-O-N, no P for, for you Brits out there. Um, you can find me there. You can also find me on my radio show, which is called The Playbook. It's, it plays here in, in Toronto, but it's also available online. We're finishing something called The Career Hack 100 right now with my co-host. Mm -hmm. and We're going to be presenting that actually on stage at uh, IMAX in Las Vegas. But the other place is I also have a website. It's called speakupgetresults.com. It's just finishing. We're just putting the finishing touches on the new stuff. And you can get all sorts of stuff there. There's tons of um, infographics. I'm huge on, as a writer, I'm not writing. As a presenter, not presenting. As a writer, not writing. And like, we got everything like these, these awesome cards called the <laughs> sugar packets, uh -huh. which are, you know, like these are like little tools to engage an audience, like 51 ways. I've got 51 mm -hmm. first lines. And we keep publishing that stuff to make everybody a better presenter at any stage of your journey. Looks nice, fantastic. Again, thank you, both of you. Thank you, Jason, thank you, Andrea, for this uh, super interesting fireside chat and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at time to shine podcast.com until next time <laughs>